It is wonderful to see everybody here. Good morning to all of you that are joining us by Zoom. We are uh, thankful for the technology, but looking forward to when you guys and gals are in this room. Uh, and we're thankful that Lucille and, and uh, Mom are here with us today. We're so thankful that, that, that Dean is, is, is feeling well enough, and Lucille's had her own medical battles too. They're, they're, they're able to be here. It's a, it's a great blessing. Thank you uh, for that reading this morning, Amen. One of my favorite stories in the Bible, um, God showing amazing power and an amazing, um, just clear-cut distinction between the power of the balls, which it, it wasn't, there, there wasn't any, um, and the power of the living God. And you know, Elijah did some very extraordinary things. This is not the only time that, that, that there were some pretty uh, unbelievable things uh, happened. But I want us to look in the New Testament. Because we start here with James uh, chapter 5, verse number 17. Elijah is just like us. And you think, uh, no, he's not. <laughs> that's that's kind of crazy. But look at this. James chapter 5, verse number 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. There was a translation that says he's a man just like us. This is New King James. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. Now, we didn't read that in 1 Kings 18. That was before this, this little section of the story. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain on the land for three years and six months. Right after this part of the story that we read in 1 Kings 18, um, it, it began to rain. He, he prayed, and it, and it happened again. So, Elijah, he's the prophet that stood before, be, uh, before this wicked king Ahab, and he basically said, Ahab, if you don't change your ways, the heavens will be sealed and there will be no more land, no more rain on the land. In other words, this prayer that Elijah had about not, it not raining was not just a, an arbitrary thing. He was saying, Ahab, you've got to change. You have done some, some pretty wicked things. And, you know, Elijah has been called the, 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 the blood and guts uh, prophet sometimes. Um, he's the one that, that, that obviously did this, <clears throat> this intervention um, with the, with the uh, priest of, of Baal and, and, uh, and Asherah, called down fire from heaven. Um, he told them to, to pray with their God and, and see what if he would bring fire, and he didn't do it. Uh, Baal didn't do it. Whatever power Baal had, whatever power they ascribed to him, he didn't call fire down, and, and, and he... Uh, said, well, let's let's re rebuild the altar because it had been kind of torn apart and, and, and messed up and it wasn't the way God wanted it to be. He laid it out, put the put the bull on it, on it, put the, 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 the carcass of, of the bull on it, had it soaked in water, had four big water pots of water put on it. And by the way, remember we're in the desert, so it's water is not just everywhere. They had to go fetch the water and, and pour it on there three different times to make sure it was good and soaked. Called fire and it, and it consumed all of the wood, all of the sacrifice. It looked up all the water. Just a powerful, powerful example. But he said, before he did all of that, he said, who are you going to worship? Are you going to worship Baal or are you going to worship Jehovah? Now, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about why that question came about here, here in just a minute. And Remember, Elijah was also the one when his life's work was over, he was caught up in a whirlwind, and it said it's just, he was no more. 
We don't have a record of him dying. He was caught up in a whirlwind, brought up in, uh, in, in a chariot of fire, sent by, sent by God. Listen to what God said and through his word here in Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And we read about that in John just this morning. Now, that's why the people were asking, hey, um, are you Elijah? That Mal Remember, Malachi is the last book of the Old, of the Old Testament before the, the 400 plus years that, that's kind of silent. They said, hey, we, we remember this. We remember the Mal Malachi's prophecy. Are, are you Elijah? He said, nope, not Elijah. Are you the prophet? He was referring to Isaiah or one of the other prophets. Nope. I am the way that's making the way clear, he said. But he's talking about Elijah here in, in, in spirit. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. And the crowd said, he's crying for Elijah to come. They remembered the prophecy of, of Malachi. In fact, in every observant Jewish home, Orthodox, Hasidic, uh, but if, you, if, if you're observant and you're doing Passover, they'll put the, the chairs around the table for the Passover Seder and they leave a chair for who? Elijah. They're still waiting for him to come. All, all fulfilled in the, in the coming of Jesus, of course. They, they, they missed that point. And you know, Elijah was one of the greatest prophets of, of the Old Testament. And there's lots of other stories, little snippets we could, we could tell about Elijah. But James says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was a man like us. In fact, this phrase, uh, with a nature like ours, is used only one other time in the Bible. It's in Acts chapter 14. We're not going to take time and read that, but in Acts chapter 14, Paul and Barnabas went to Lystra, and there uh, they, they healed a crippled man. And, and the miracle was so amazing that the people started, uh, they basically decided that, that Paul and Barnabas were gods. In fact, they called Paul Mercury, that's the Roman uh, term, uh, uh, or Hermes. They, they called Barnabas Jupiter or Zeus. Uh, and, and they were they were actually doing um, sacrifices uh, to them. They were starting to, uh, or, or they were they were just about to. And uh, Paul and Barnabas came out and said, "No, no, no! Don't you do that!" They were leading oxen and garlands, garlands of flowers, out to, to sacrifice. They said, "Don't you do that!" What did they say? Wait, we are men with the same nature like you. Same phrase that James used. Same nature like you. We're men just like you are, human beings. Not gods. Little b, little g, big g, we're not. What does James mean when he says Elijah had a nature like ours? What does he mean by that? To be honest with you, I'm having a little trouble with that myself. It's like, come on, James. I mean, can you see Elijah driving around town, you know, in a Honda Accord? driving up to McDonald's to order a Big Mac and fries, you know, a, a number one or whatever. I, I, I can't see that. I, it, it's just hard to imagine. Now, if James had said Peter was a man with a nature like ours, that I get. I don't have much trouble with that because Peter was often saying the wrong thing 
He was often talking when he should have kept quiet. He made mistakes. And so if James had said, you know, Peter's just a man just like us. Yes, he was one of the founders of the church. And he had that first gospel sermon that's recorded there in Acts chapter 2. And yes, he was a preacher. Yes, he was an elder in the church in Jerusalem. If he said he was a man like us, I would say, yeah. He's made mistakes. I made mistakes. If, if um, James had said David was a man with a nature like ours, I could say, yeah, I, I see that. David writes in the Psalms about his own frustrations, his own questions. He's searching for God's will. He's wondering who he can trust. David sinned. He had problems with his kids. Um, and and he, you know, he had a nature like ours. I, I get that. But James doesn't mention him. He says Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You know, as a prophet from God, Elijah did some pretty extraordinary things. But James's message is that he was an ordinary person. And that God can take ordinary people and do extraordinary things. Just like everyone in this room, everyone that's listening to this on, online, every, chances are bad things are going to happen. Maybe not immediately, but you, you start to veer off track. And then you veer off track and you veer off track and soon you don't know where the track is. That's exactly what happened to Ahab. He was a politician who apparently didn't want to offend anybody, much less his wife. So he decided, well, if worshiping one god is good, then worshiping two gods must be better. So he built altars to Jehovah. He built altars to Baal. He, he had priests of Jehovah, priests of Baal. We, we hear about priests of, of Asherah and yet another god. He was kind of an equal opportunity worshiper of, of other gods. Okay, Politically correct of his day. He didn't want to offend anyone. Everyone's feelings were very important. Basically, he told the people, worship whoever you, whatever god you want, whatever god you choose. You can both worship one, you can worship both. It's up to you. Don't we see that same message today? Worship what you want. You want to worship nature? You want to worship um, some other kind of, of, of God? We worship self. It's called hedonism. We don't call it that, but that's what it is. But you see, Elijah confronted Ahab and confronted and condemned his idolatry. So as a result of, of Ahab's example, a lot of the Israelites actually started worshiping Baal. They hadn't done that before. But they were like, hey, if the king says it's okay, then it's probably politically expedient for me to do that. I can see that happening. The Bible doesn't say that. But I can see where some people would say, well, it's politically expedient for me to do this. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to do that. They would worship Baal one day and over the next. They couldn't make up their mind. And Finally, Elijah calls for a contest. That's where this comes from. How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, if Jehovah is God, follow him. But if Paul, follow him. He's asking them to choose. James says he is a man with a nature like ours. He's asking us to choose too. And he's asking us to Draw a line in the sand 
as did, uh, you know, as did Elijah. So we read the story this morning. He challenged the priests of Baal to see which one truly was God. And these 450 priests built this altar. You know the story. Just read it. So then in, in 1 Kings 18 and 30, Elijah said to the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Why do you think he had the people come to him? He didn't want anybody to think this was done in secret. He didn't want them to think that he had poured gasoline on this thing, if they had such back then, some kind of accelerant. He wanted them to see what was going on and to be part of the rebuilding of the altar and the laying of the, uh, uh, of the, of the wood and the, the, the sacrificial bull on top of it. He wanted people to see that. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was in ruins or was broken down. And you notice what Elijah said. He's constantly giving God the glory. He never once said, and this is what I'm doing. Watch what I can do. He, he talks about in, in um, verse 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are Lord God, and you, you, you have turned their hearts back to you again. I love that. love that humility. Now, we've seen plenty of other prophets. We saw, we saw Moses. It happened to him. It happened to Aaron. It happened to many other uh, of our patriarchs that took credit themselves and took the, the, the honor to themselves. King Saul, many other examples, not Elijah. But was that something special of him? Was he a special, humble servant of the Lord? James says no. He's a man with a, with a, a nature like ours. So what's the message for the church today? What's the message for Elijah for the church today? I believe it is Elijah saying, I'm not going to be contaminated by my surroundings. No matter how uh, appealing it may be, no matter how expedient it may seem from a political or a social standpoint, I'm going to keep my life pure. I'm going to keep my testimony untarnished. I'm going to keep standing up for the fact that God is who he is and there is no other God. That's easier said than done. Excuse me. That's easier said than done. That's easier said than done today. And it was for sure easier said than done when uh, uh, I, uh, Elijah was on the scene. Walking the earth. Does that mean, oh, it's okay. It's okay. We know it's hard. I mean, after all, you work in a school district. It's hard. You work in a university. I get it. It's, you work for a big corporation. It's tough. You know, you're, you're, you're an older person, so I, I get it. It's not as easy to be flexible. Or you're a younger person. You have all kinds of, of influences on you. Your, your, your health is such that it's, it's just really hard. It's really easier on your health if you just kind of go along and get along. I could keep going. 
and coming up with excuses for every person, situation in this room and ever listening to this podcast and, and listening to this, this broadcast. I could come up with excuses for me. And I often do. We need to hear and proclaim Elijah's message today. What is that message? His message is that Jehovah is God, there is no other. What does that mean? Because Mike Hall will, will tell you, in his work up in the Northeast, in, in Massachusetts specifically, or Massachusetts as, as Mike likes to say, that when you walk into homes of people that they're trying to set up Bible studies with, it's no longer the case where you can assume that they, A, even have read the Bible once in their life. They have no Bibles in their home. None. Zero. Never have. Never read the Bible. So therefore, there's a, um, a, a discussion that has to go on about the Bible and the truth of the Bible and the, the uh, validity of the Bible and the applicability of the Bible. On and on and on. I'm not picking on the people in, in Massachusetts. That's more and more the situation right here in the buckle of the Bible belt, as we call it. That's more and more right here. Why? Because people's hearts have been turned away and they're worshiping other gods. It's no longer something that you can take for granted. We certainly can't take, advantage, uh, take it for granted in our, in our own lives, but we can't take it uh, for granted when we're talking with and working with other people co-workers, friends, relatives. You see, it's perfectly acceptable to the world for us to believe that Jesus is Christ as long as we conform to the standards, values, and the attitudes that they have. In other words, they're compatible. You can have your little Jesus. It's okay. As long as you don't do this list of things or you're going to get there's going to be punishment. There's going to be canceling. There's going to be all kinds of things. You think Elijah faced the same thing? Of course he did. Of course he did. Of course he was ostracized. Several years ago, there was an article that appeared in the Wall Street Journal about a woman who called herself Reverend Terry. Reverend Terry. She had a New Age religion. She called it New Christianity, as a matter of fact. And here's kind of a synopsis of what she espoused. She said, happiness is limitless. These are all quotes. People don't need to change for the better, but simply realize that they are already perfect. As you look at the world around us, do you believe that? We are already perfect, just as we are. She didn't believe in sin or hell. She said, quote, sin is simply self-hatred. She said, hell is what some of us build for ourselves right here on earth. The article described her audiences as young and suntan driving fancy cars. She teaches prosperity and happiness, and she says, quote, you should never feel guilty for anything that you do, but rejoice in your own perfection. Do I sound like Lowry? Now, isn't that comforting? 
Wouldn't you love for me to stand up here and espouse that kind of stuff? At least this little part of you that kind of wants me to make you feel good. Do what you want and never feel guilty because you're already perfect. See, her conclusion that was that since there was no such thing as sin, there's no need for Jesus Christ to come and save us from our sin. There's nothing to save us from. And it sounds that's kind of what was going on in Ahab's day. They were so compromised and so deluded, deluded and diluted, that the people were no longer paying any attention to the Word of God and to the will of God. Isn't that what's happening today? Your God's as good as mine. You worship in the way you want. I'll worship in the way I want. Kumbaya. We're all going to heaven. In fact, you worship yours and I'll worship mine and I might even come and worship with you sometime. You, and then you come worship with me sometime. But Elijah who was a man like us, says, separate yourselves from the, from the values of the world. He has a different message. Now, I'm not here today to bring fire and brimstone down from, from heaven. I'm not calling that down like Elijah did from God. I'm appealing to you to say, there is, there is a a decision that we have to make individually. Not to isolate ourselves, but to separate ourselves and to be faithful to Him. It was, was Elijah saying, hey, all you faithful Israelites, you need to get up and leave and go somewhere. No. It wasn't the same message as Moses where they were in captivity. The captivity that Elijah was talking about was of their own making. Their own spiritual bondage. We have a decision to make. And it becomes more and more challenging as the lines get blurred and as there becomes consequences for our beliefs. In the past, look, when, when I was a kid, there were, and, and likely almost everybody in the room, under the age of 35, maybe 40, there were no activities on Wednesday nights for the schools. None. And there certainly weren't any on Sunday. No way would there be something on Sunday. We had a baccalaureate, which is kind of like a church service. on, And it, hap it happened on a Sunday, but it was Sunday afternoon for our, our graduating seniors. And now, tell me if I'm wrong, it's pretty common for there to be lots of things happening on Wednesdays, and certainly things happening on, on Sundays as well. What I mean by that is that, that not that those that, that that's that's somehow um, sinful in and of itself, but it's an indication that it's not as easy. And it's a, that's a simple, easy item. It's not as easy to be a Christian as it once was. Prayer in school and all those kinds of things. They're just indications that it's no longer as easy as it was. That's not news to anybody. If it is. I'm sorry to break that to you, but it's not as easy. But it is very much a slippery slope that we're on. I don't know how and when...
the, the worship of the balls happened under King Ahab. I don't know if he made some big, big proclamation or something. I rather think it was somewhat slow. There, there was no social media. There was no media. There was just word of mouth, people talking. So it took longer period of time for messages to get out. I rather doubt if it happened overnight, that it was immediate. There was all of a sudden, Shazam, there was a great big um, uh, uh, altar to, to the balls in, in Asherah, and some big temple. I mean, it took years to build some of this stuff. It took time. It was gradual. What's gradual in your life that you've slipped off into? God's man or woman will not conform but be transformed. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And we've heard it so often that I'm not sure that we really listen to it. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, I beg of you, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A couple of words in there. Do not be conformed, but be transformed. Conform means if something has the shape of something and, and, you, and you conform to it, you're, you're matching that shape like clay around something. that It takes on that same shape. Transformed, um, the, 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 the Greek word behind it is, is a complete change. Uh, I think of the, the movie Transformers. Uh, it goes from a car to this gigantic monster-looking thing. I mean, it's just completely different. And Christians should in many ways be completely different. And I don't mean by that having you know, a unicorn or some kind of weirdness but be so different than the rest of the world that it's obvious. So different that it's, there's no doubt, there's no question. Judas conformed. He had the privilege of, of sitting and listening to Jesus for three solid years. He learned straight from the lips of Jesus but he conformed and he sold out. Joseph did not conform. Had the opportunity to conform by the first opportunity we see, he had the opportunity to um, uh, enter into an adulterous relationship with Potiphar's wife. He ran out the door, left his jacket behind. He was, he was getting out of there so quick could have conformed very easily. Daniel didn't conform. In this foreign land, given all this fancy food, he said, no, I don't want the fancy food. Told to pray toward the king and to worship the king, he said, no, I'm going to pray to the Lord God. I'm going to pray to Jehovah. Peter, James, John, all the great disciples who followed God, there were pressures there for them to conform. We read about Peter struggling with that back and forth. They wouldn't conform. And they, they finally 
turn the world upside down, or you might say right side up. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Sometimes people translate that as, as money. It is way more than money. That word mammon is, is way more broad than, than money. You're, you're like, oh, phew, I don't have any money, so I'm good, Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 doesn't apply to me. Not true. Because it's, it's way more than money. It's about things. It's about prestige. It's about position. It's about um, all, all, there, it, it's a it's a very broad word. But the point is, we cannot be divided. Elijah said it. You can't be divided. Jesus said it. And that's what's out there in, in our society today. There are other altars, other gods beckoning for our attention and for our worship. They call that 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 great big place over there uh, called the stadium. They call that the palace on the prairie. That's fun. That's kind of cool. Um, that has turned into a God and everything about that for a lot of people. And look, Boomer Sooner, I get it. I was there for the 85 National Championship. I get it. But we can turn all kinds of things into an idol if we will allow it. Society says, that's all right. You can still go to church and be a respectable Christian. Just go ahead and serve the other gods too. But Elijah comes with this message, the same that Paul says here in, in, uh, earlier in, in, in uh, uh, Romans. He said, don't conform. Be transformed. This is from Elijah that Paul is, is talking. Let God's Word reach you and shape your thinking. Let God's Word transform you. Let God's Word change your values. Let God's Word change the direction that you're headed, if you're headed in the wrong direction. Some of you need a massive change. Some of you need a nudge. Know what God's Word is saying to you. Jesus was with, with Peter, and Peter was, was having all these, uh, these passionate discussions and, and things like that. No, Lord, I'll, I will stay with you to the end. I'll die with you. Jesus had to tell Peter once, he said, when, get away from me, Satan. When you are truly converted, then you can convert your brothers. Then you can go have a discussion with your brothers. With your, with your family and, and, and other disciples and other followers. He needed a nudge. Was he way off base? Was he in sin? No. But he was not on the right path. He was not on the right path. His attitude was wrong. His attitude was misguided. I'm going to die for you. Some of you are worshiping balls. I don't know who. I'm not pointing any fingers. And maybe it's me. But that's God's message for us today. We dare not compromise. We dare not dilute it. And like Elijah, we have to stand strong and proclaim it. Why? 
Because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him won't perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. The next verse, verse 17, for or because God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world through Him might be saved. That's the message that we are proclaiming until He comes again, as we talked about this morning. In, uh, in, in the Lord's Supper. That's the message that we are proclaiming to other people when we partake of the Lord's Supper, which some people think is goofy. Some people think that's unnecessary. Or you only need to, need to do it a few times a year. Every time we do it, every time we do it, we're proclaiming His death and we're proclaiming this message. Where have you compromised? Where have you decided that it's okay to worship both? Where have you decided that it's, that it's okay to have one foot in, one foot out? Ask yourself that. If that's a, 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 a path that, that you're on, that you're worshiping other things, maybe only occasionally. But maybe it's something that you need to transform in your life. Maybe it's something that you don't need to conform anymore. Whatever it is. Now, all the things we've been talking about here today are in the context of followers of Jesus. We begin that following when we say, Yes, Lord, Jesus is the Son of God and He came to save me from my sins. I believe that so much, I'm going to confess that publicly. I'm going to tell everybody about it. I'm going to submit myself to baptism. I'm going to turn away from my old ways. I'm going to walk toward you, Jesus. I'm going to do those things because that's what you've asked me to do. We don't have this system of sacrifices anymore where it's physical blood of bulls and goats and, and doves and things like that. We don't have that, that system. That was taken away. That was nailed to the cross. But what we have is a self-sacrifice, as we read about in Romans chapter 12. A self-sacrifice. I'm sacrificing my wants, my desires, and I have a lot of them. i got a lot of things that I want. But I'm laying that down, Lord, to follow you. If you need help in this walk, let us know as we sing.